0: In 1 Samuel chapter 16, uh, the Bible tells us that uh, God had grown tired of Saul's leadership as the king of Israel. Saul really uh, wasn't supposed to be king. They didn't have kings in Israel at the time. They had judges. Uh, God didn't want a king to be risen up at that time because he was the one in charge. They wanted him to continue to seek him. and So when they had judges... They sought God's leadership in everything, but the people decided that if Israel was ever going to be powerful, they needed a king, and so they uh, begged God to make Saul king, so Saul became king, but by First Samuel 13, Saul had turned his back on God a couple of times, and God had had enough, so he sent the prophet Samuel to go seek out who was really supposed to be the king, and he told him to go to Bethlehem, he told him to go to the house of Jesse, and so the prophet Samuel goes to Jesse's house to seek who is going to be the king that's going to take over after Saul. And some of you may remember the story. He goes to Jesse and says, will you bring your sons up here so I can see which one is to be the next king? And Jesse begins to line his sons up. And Abinadab comes and he looks at him. He says, man, this guy's a warrior. He's strong and he's muscular. So surely this is the one who's supposed to be king. God said, that's not the one. They brought the second son. So this is the one who's supposed to be the king. Surely look at him. He, he's." I uh, got leadership and got talent. God said, "That's not the one." And so He went down each one. God said, "Stop judging by appearance." He said, "I'm the one who's going to look at their hearts." Finally, He got to the end and said, "Jesse, do you not have any more sons?" And Jesse said, "All we have left is our young youngest son. He's out tending the sheep, um, but he's he's too young." Samuel said, "Go get him." And so they brought in the youngest son. And when he walked in the door and stood. The Bible says he was ruddy-faced, which meant uh, fair-complected. He was not a big, muscular guy. But the moment he walked in, God said, that's the one. And in that moment, in his own house in Bethlehem, Samuel took out anointing oil and anointed David as the next king of Israel. And when he anointed him, the Bible says in 1 Samuel thirteen thirteen that the Holy Spirit came on him, and it filled him from that day forward. Now, it sounds like a great story. Here is the anointing of King David, the David that we all know about, that we all read about. As a teenager, God had set him aside and given him a dream and given him an idea of where his life was going. The only problem is David didn't become king for another 20 years. So for 20 years, David lived with the anointing and the call in his life that he was going to be the king of Israel but up until that point, till he became the actual king, he had to go through ups and downs and ups and downs. See, the Bible is full of God calling people, God giving people a dream, God giving people a passion and speaking into their hearts and then having them wait before they ever get there. Just think about Moses. Moses had to wait 40 years tending sheep on the backside of the desert before God called him back to leadership. When Saul became Paul on the road to Damascus, one of the first things that God did was send him away. He spent seven years wandering in the deserts of Arabia before God called him back to public ministry. Even Jesus Christ. We don't know anything about Jesus Christ from the time he was 12 years old to the time he started his public ministry at 30. So for 18 years, Jesus is waiting to begin for just the right time, the Bible says, what God had called him to. See, waiting is a part of the Christian walk. And this morning, our character, our main person that we're following in this story, Joseph, finds himself in the exact same place as those that went before him. He's waiting. Now, last week we saw that Joseph got thrown into prison. He got thrown into prison not because he did something wrong. He got thrown into prison because he did something good. He stood up to temptation, and Potiphar's wife falsely accused him of rape, falsely accused him of abuse, and Potiphar threw him into prison. And we find him in prison, and he's not just there for a short amount of time. He's there for what many think between 12 and and 10 years because of something he didn't do. And and if you remember back in this series that at 17 years old, Joseph is given a dream that he is going to rise in leadership over nations. And from the moment he got that dream, from the moment he got that call in his life, from the moment he began to hope and wish that this is where God was leading him, he has gone through nothing but unfortunate incidents. He's sold into slavery. He's beaten up by his brothers. He's left for dead. He's taken to a foreign country and and he becomes a slave in a home where he doesn't even know the culture or the language. And in that, while he's trying to serve God and he's trying to be faithful, he is falsely accused. And now he's thrown into prison. But the amazing thing we learned last week is that through it all, no matter what happened, no matter what he faced, he never doubted God's faithfulness. And that's what got him through. Last week, we talked about what happens when you face discouragement. What happens when you face disappointment in faith chasing your dream? You keep your faith and focus on God. Continue to be faithful, even in the midst of your struggles, and God will always be faithful to follow you through. And once again, we find Joseph here having to put his dreams, having to put his hopes on hold. And so this morning, we're going to look at his life and look at how he handled waiting, to give us some examples of waiting. So if you have a Bible, you can follow along. Genesis chapter 39. I'm going to go back and read a little bit before to get us into the story. Starting back in verse 20, it says, Joseph's master took him and put him in prison and placed where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. And we learned that last week, always with him, never abandoned him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the warden. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all those who held in prison, and he was made responsible for all the things that were done there. See, he rises. God blesses him in the midst of his struggle. We don't usually see that in our own lives, but you need to recognize that no matter what you're going through this morning, no matter where you are, if you are waiting, if you are facing discouragement, if you are facing despair, God is still with you, and God is still blessing you. Now, it may not look like what you want. It may not be the way you want it to be, but God is still blessing you. And he was still blessing Joseph because Joseph was faithful. It says in verse 23, the warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave success in whatever he did. And in chapter 40, verse 1, says, and sometime later, now that's, that's the crux of our story today. That's sometime later because that sometime later was 10 years. So for 10 years, Joseph is waiting for God to open the door. Now, if there's one thing that probably everyone in this room struggles with, it's patience. Learning to wait. You don't believe me. Think think about your life this week. Think of all the things that you went through. Think of the number one, two, three, four things this week that frustrated you the most. Times when you lost your temper. Times when you got upset or angry. I would guarantee that at least one of those two or three things has to do with your impatience has to do with not waiting for something to happen. Maybe it happened at a red light and you sat at a red light longer. maybe it was you were driving to Boone or you were driving off the mountain heaven forbid and you got stuck at all of those red lights going through Lenore or going into to Hickory and it seemed like everyone was the next one and your anger just built up and built up and surely that's never happened to you, right? Maybe you were at a a, a drive-thru and and you were waiting in line and it just seemed like it took forever and it took forever and then you finally got there and you got what your meal was and it wasn't your meal after all of that wait and you went home and exploded on your family. Surely that didn't happen to you. Maybe you were driving on the parkway. You got behind somebody that was enjoying the scenery and driving the actual speed limit on the parkway and it frustrated you. Maybe you were trying to check out at the grocery store, and you were like me. You always pick the wrong lane. You walk through, and you look, and, and you say, well, this is the one I'm going to get in, and you get in this one, and it seems like that person has a price check for everything that goes through. or They forget something, and you end up having to wait and wait and wait. I heard a good joke this week. Side, side note goes with that story because uh, most of the time where I get frustrated is Walmart. Uh, trying to check out a Walmart. You know, Walmart's closing some stores. Somebody said that Walmart's closing 100 stores. That means that 15 cashiers are losing their jobs. So uh, you, some of you will get that later. But maybe you were sitting in line and you just started steaming for no real reason because we hate to have to wait. Part of our human nature, this, this generation especially, is based on instant gratification we want stuff now i mean we get mad when our phone doesn't boot up fast enough we get mad when the computer doesn't start quick enough how many of you find yourself especially older people uh older people like me people that are my age or older that you get angry when the microwave doesn't cook something fast enough heaven forbid that that meal should take three minutes that used to take an hour and a half right but we stand there and get angry because it doesn't do it fast enough See, we want things and we want them now and it's the same thing spiritually. When it comes to the things of the Lord, we want God to do something and we want Him to do it right now on our timetable and we don't want to wait. Maybe some of you are like Joseph was. You're waiting on God to open a door for you and it's driving you crazy, You've grown frustrated. Maybe you're waiting on a big decision.
1: Maybe you're waiting on the right job the right opportunity in your family. Maybe you're rating on Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright.
0: It just seems like the time doesn't move fast enough.
1: Feel like you want to give up. I heard a guy pray one time. He said, Lord, please give me patience and I need it right now.
0: That's the way we live. We have a tendency to want things on our timetable. See, I'm worried that many Christians never fulfill their God-given call, never fulfill God's dream on their life. They miss out on incredible blessings because they're not willing to wait or because they were in such a hurry that they missed the lessons that God was trying to teach them during that waiting period. You see, I think probably most of us would rather settle for what's wrong instead of waiting for what's right. Because if what's right in front of us, if, it, if it'll get rid of the worry and it'll get rid of all the other anxieties we have, we settle for this instead of waiting for what God has for us. This morning, I want to tell you, waiting is worth it, especially when it comes to the kingdom of God. Now, before I look at how Joseph handled his waiting, let me just give you, I want to give you two truths, and then we'll look at Joseph see how he handled it to help you handle it. Two truths about waiting. First one, and this is probably the most important thing I'll tell you. If you are waiting on God, there is always a reason. See, when you have to wait for God, there is always a purpose to the waiting. In Joseph's life, God had him waiting for a reason. Maybe God has you waiting this morning for timing. Maybe it's just not the right time. Maybe he has you waiting because he's trying to protect you from something that's going to come up. Maybe he's got you waiting because he's trying to develop something in your life, something that you need for when the door opens. But if you are waiting, it's because God has a purpose and a reason for it this morning. We need to remember, and I've said this over and over again, the Christian life is more about the journey than the destination. And we get so focused on the destination and hurrying up and getting there. When are we going to get there? And are we there yet? And are we there yet? And God is trying to teach us in the process. So many people are so worried about getting all of the right answers that they never really understand the questions. And we rush by God. You see, you need to understand God is trying to teach you something. And always recognize that worry never helps waiting. Matter of fact, worry is the greatest problem in waiting. The Bible says, Jesus teaches, what what good does worrying do? Does it add one more day? Does it help you in any instance? But I find so many people, when they are waiting on God, they are wrapped up and bound in worry about what's going to happen. What if God doesn't show up? What if I'm waiting for Mr. Wright or Mrs. Wright and she's not out there? What if I'm waiting for this next job? What if I'm waiting for the open door
1: and it doesn't open? Listen, that is a lack of faith. I'm not going to find in Joseph's life him ever having to deal with worry.
0: Waiting always has a purpose. And the second thing I want you to remember is waiting is the rule and not the exception. Let me just encourage you with this. You're going to face a lot more yellow and red lights than you will green in your life. You're going to be stopping more than you'll be going. You're going to be pausing and waiting and hesitating. And it's in that waiting. It's in that hesitating. It's in that place of of waiting before you start moving again that God teaches us a lesson. And that's why it's so important to see how Joseph handled it. So let me keep reading. Let me read in verse chapter 40. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker, of the king of Egypt, offended their master, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the cupbearer and the baker, and he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard. They're thrown in prison, the same prison where Joseph was confined. And the captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph, and he attended them. Now that word there, attended, means he ministered to them. We don't know why the cupbearer or the baker is thrown into prison. We don't know what got them there. We just know that they are placed in the same prison as Joseph. And after each had been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who had been held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meeting of its own. And when Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in the master's house, why are your faces so sad? They answered, we both had dreams, but no one is here to interpret them. Now what I want you to see in this is that the first and, and probably one of the keys to us learning how to wait is to recognize that while you wait, while God has you in a pause, while God has you in a hesitation, you need to make the most of the opportunities you have. You see, while you're waiting, you, it doesn't mean sitting in a pity party. It doesn't mean, you know, Joseph can sit here after his fourth incident and just sit around and pout and complain to everyone around him and say, Why hasn't God helped? When is God going to show up? Why hasn't God saved me yet? But Joseph doesn't do any of that. What does he do? He reaches out and begins to minister to the people that are right there with him. He begins to look around and these two guys show up and he is so trusted that it says he attended to them. He began to meet their needs. And he is so trusted that when they begin to get disturbed, he is sensitive enough to ask them, how can I help? See, you and I need to recognize that when God puts us in a holding pattern, the greatest thing we can do is to look around and see how we can serve others right where we are, doing ministry right in front of us. Heard somebody say one time, when God shuts a door, do ministry in the hallway. See, So many times when we get to a place where we have to wait, when God shuts a door on us or when God begins to tell us to wait, we just give up. We just think this isn't what necessarily I was called to do. This isn't where I thought I was going. This isn't a dream I had. See, Joseph didn't come up and say, listen, this wasn't a dream I got when I was 17. It wasn't to be ministering to people in prison. But he recognized that he had an opportunity right where he was, so he took it. You and I need to recognize all of the opportunities we have right in front of us. Walking the path in front of you. Do the best job that you can in the job that you're in. Serve in ministry right where you are. Doing the things that God has opened the door for you to do. Because it's in that process of doing those things that the greater things come along. It's in the process of you reaching out that all of a sudden God begins to open doors that you never even expected were there. He's preparing you. Joseph was looking around, willing to serve. I remember one of my churches I served in, a college student came to me. and He joined the church and and he had a call on his life, a call to mission. He said, Rusty, I, I know God has called me to go missions somewhere overseas. And, and actually, as he developed it, he began to get a passion for an unreached people group in Brazil, a people group on the Amazon River that nobody had reached. He said, listen, Rusty, God has called me to go and minister to them. And I would ask him, and say, well, what are you doing about it? And I'm waiting for God to open a door. Going to school, working my job, just waiting for God. to said, no, that's not how it works. So I put him in contact with our college minister. And you know what our college minister did? He said, listen, if you have a heart for missions and a heart for ministry, then you come and start working in the inner city. I want you to start reaching these people groups. And so he started going twice a week, helping to feed and clothe and minister to those in the inner city. That wasn't what his dream and his call was, but it was the opportunity at the moment. And as he began to do that, God did begin to develop a heart for people. He began to to teach, and he began to learn how to share the gospel. He began to take college classes learning Portuguese. And it was in that ministry, while he was working downtown, not part of his dream, not part of the path that he had planned. It was in that ministry that God brought somebody in his life that had the same dream. They got together, and now they operate boats on the Amazon River reaching those people groups. You see, if if I would have told him, listen, the best way for you to get to Brazil is to go to the inner city in Chattanooga, he'd have said, no way. Because that's not the way our plan works. But that's not God's plan. You see, we need to recognize that the best thing we can do is minister right where you are. He'd have never got to the Amazon sitting around in his hands waiting for some magical door to open. What would have happened inevitably in his life is... He'd have looked back and he'd have blamed God. Because that's what we do. See, we, we, we draw our own door and say, God, this is, has to be where you want me to go. And when the door that God opens doesn't look like this door, then we get mad. God, you didn't open my door. And God said, no, because I had a different path for you. It went the same way, but it started here. And if you'd have gone through this door, you'd have got on the other side of that door eventually. But you'd have done it my way. See, when God has you waiting, you need to recognize that the greatest thing you can do is to start looking for opportunities. And no opportunity is too small. See, that guy, that college student could have said, Listen, I, you don't understand. I'm not going to go and, and serve beans to homeless people in the inner city. I mean, that's, I'm, I'm called to do more, I'm called to reach people groups. No, it starts there. Because it's in that moment that God developed his heart and developed a passion. And developed a purpose for him. Joseph recognized that it was in the looking around and saying, I'm I'm gonna do all I can where I am, that God began to work the doors that eventually got him out of prison. First thing you need to do is you need to look around and make the most of opportunities. The second thing you need to do is while you wait, cultivate the gifts that God's given you. You see, not only does God teach us patience while we're waiting, but he also gives us gifts and helps us use the gifts that we've already been given to hone them, to, to, to get them ready for where he's calling us to, to use them. Joseph's sitting here. These guys come and say, listen, we had this dream. Joseph didn't know anything about dream interpretation. you know what he says? He says, listen, I had a dream. God helped me understand it. Maybe God can help you understand it. And he began to explain what God was telling him and told them what their dreams meant. See, each of us have gifts. Each of us have talents. Each of us have passions. What God is trying to do while we are waiting is cultivate those passions, cultivate those gifts. If Joseph had said, listen, my gift is to be a leader, that was part of the dream, not talk about dreams, he'd have never gotten out of prison. If he hadn't been faithful, if he hadn't been at the right place at the right time, willing to serve, he never would have got to where God was calling him. You see, God wants to use this time of waiting to teach you about who you are and how you've been gifted. He wants to help develop you. I remember back in college when I felt a call to preach and a call to minister. I didn't know what that meant. I said, God, I, I know you want me to do something. And, and so I guess the only thing, you know, in church, when you come to church, you figure the only thing that's really worth it or important as being the preacher, right? So all those other things don't count. So it's just preacher. I want to be preacher. So I thought, I want to preach. And so I I thought, you know, I I went and preached my first message when I got licensed and ordained. And uh, everybody there said I was the greatest preacher they ever heard. My grandmother told me I was the next Billy Graham. So, So I was ready. I was ready to hit the crusade circuit. I was waiting by the phone. I knew That in the little town of Marshall, Texas, where I went to college, that some big church was waiting to scoop me up. Because God put a call on my life. I was going to preach, and I was going to teach, and and I was ready to go. But they never called. You know who did call? Baptist Campus Ministry called and said, Listen, a little nursing
1: home down the road that needs people to come on Sunday and preach to them. You want to talk about a captive audience. Nursing home, I'm the next Billy Graham. Swallow my pride and said, I'll go. And so every Sunday, I, I worked during the week and learned how to
0: prepare sermons. I learned how to cultivate my message. And I learned how to keep people awake, okay, because that's a big trial in a nursing home. And I learned how to deliver a message. And I learned how to share. And I learned how to involve people. All of those things I learned in the least possible place. Why? Because God was taking and preparing me for what he had. When the door came open for me to go serve in a church, I was ready. I wasn't ready when I thought I was. I wasn't ready when I was looking around for all of these things to fulfill my dreams. But God took me right where I needed to be to cultivate my gifts, to hone my gifts. That's what God's doing in your life right now. He's teaching you. He's cultivating you. Make the most of the opportunities while you wait. Use your gifts. Listen, if you want to sing, you want to play an instrument, go anywhere that they will let you. You feel God's calling you to teach a Bible study? Start a Bible study. It may mean you have to teach kids or teenagers or a small group. Start somewhere. You feel a heart for missions? Get involved. We have a missions team. We'd love for you to help develop things here. Go to the inner city. We have the Christian Outreach Center. Feeding every week. Hospitality house. Ministries all over this city. But you have to say, you can't say, listen, that that doesn't fit into my idea of what my dream is or what God is calling me to.
1: Go with what you got, where you are, and start somewhere. The third thing, While you wait, you need to learn to tune your ear to God's voice.
0: This is probably one of the most important things. While we're waiting is a perfect time to learn to listen to the voice of God. To recognize His voice. To hear what He might be saying. To hear how He's saying it. To hear what He is saying. To hear where He is calling us to as He's saying it. We hate silence. Sometimes God's speaking to us in silence. And unless you're willing to listen to His voice, you'll never hear. While you're waiting, learn how God speaks through a preacher, through songs, through your neighbor. Tune your ear to listen to His voice so that you'll know when He is opening a door or when He's maybe cracking a door or He's opening a window. And as you listen and you learn to listen, you begin to move. You see, that is how Joseph interpreted these dreams. Joseph said, listen, I don't know how to interpret dreams, but I'm going to listen to God. And God spoke the interpretation into Joseph. And it's not a coincidence that God used the very same gift to get Joseph in a place of leadership with Pharaoh later. You and I need to learn to listen to God. We need to learn to tune our voice to what he has for us. Joseph would have never been willing to serve, never been willing to interpret those guys' dreams. He wasn't listening to God. And all he asks, you can go and read in chapter 40, he interprets their dream. It's a good, good dream interpretation for the cupbearer. It's a bad interpretation for the baker. We'll talk more about that in a couple of weeks. But the baker gets the bad
1: news. He's going to be killed. Cupbearer gets the good news. You're going to get your job back. All Joseph asks is, he says, listen, when you go
0: back into Pharaoh's court, and you will go into Pharaoh's court, remember me. Remember who I am. But Joseph put himself in a place to listen. D. Campbell Morgan, the great pastor, said waiting for God is not laziness. It's not laying around. Waiting for God is not going to sleep. Waiting for God is not abandonment of effort. Waiting for God means first, activity under command. Second, it means readiness for any new command that may come. That means do what you've got where you are. Listen to God's voice. And third, it's the ability to do nothing until the new command is given. To learn to listen. You've got to learn to use your gifts. You've got to learn to look for opportunities. And then the last thing that I think is important for us to do while we wait for
1: God is we need to wait with confidence. Wait with confidence. That means develop your faith to a place that nothing can discourage you. Let me just be honest. Waiting is difficult. Whether it's waiting in line at Walmart or waiting at a red light or waiting for God to open a door that's change your life it's tough lonely discouraging disappointing sometimes be honest but when you develop a faith that
0: understands and recognizes that god is in control and your faith is so strong in him that nothing can beat it none of those things will discourage so many times we're so wishy-washy in our waiting Somebody says, what's going on with you? What's God doing? Well, we don't know. We don't know what we're supposed to do. We feel like God's calling us to this, and maybe God wants me to do this, but I don't know. No, you need confidence. We know exactly what's going on. God is preparing us. God is teaching us. God is working in me right now. He's not done. He's not through. I have faith that he is going to complete what he started. I have faith that one day I'm going to be doing what God has gifted and called me to do.
1: And in confidence, we are waiting. Pete Joseph, the dreams came true. Down at the end of chapter 40, you can
0: read. It says that, that the Pharaoh threw a party and he decided to let the guys out. So the cupbearer and the baker got out. The baker, it was bad news. They hung him. The cupbearer, he got put back into Pharaoh's court. But if you read chapter 41...
1: Verse one, it says, He forgot Joseph. For two years, the guy who Joseph helped to get out didn't think about him.
0: Now think about Joseph. You know, I know we spiritualize these stories. We think of these as, you know, super spiritual. Joseph, Joseph's just like he's a young guy, he's been in prison since he's seventeen. He's doing what he has. He's using his gifts. And finally, he uses his gifts to minister to this guy. And he recognizes that in the dream, the guy's going to get out. He says, listen, when you get out, I've been wrongly in prison. When you get out, would you just say a kind word to Pharaoh for me?
1: And the guy says, yes, I'll do it. So Joseph is sitting there, and the guy gets out of prison. For two years, he hears nothing. You don't think Joseph dealt with discouragement? What got him through? faith in god joseph recognized that god got him out of the well god got him out of that beating from his family
0: god got him out of potiphar's house god protected him and blessed him all this time in prison what's two more years going to do you see if you wait on god and you trust in god you are going to face disappointment there are going to be times
1: that your hopes are going to get up there are going to be times that you're going to think this is it be disappointed. There are going to be times that people close to you will disappoint. People that were in your cheering team. People that were there like the cupbearer and the baker
0: saying, you got this. You're the greatest. Man, you interpret dreams and you should be doing this for
1: a living. You're the greatest. And all of a sudden, they turn their back on People are say, we're all fallible. We all let each other down. But God never let us down. He's never let me down. Not once have I been disappointed. Now, He doesn't always
0: do what I want. Doesn't always give me what I thought I needed. But He always gives me what He knows I need. And He always takes care of you see, when you have that kind of faith, it doesn't matter when people turn against you. It doesn't matter when the door slams shut. It doesn't matter when you find yourself waiting. When you thought you were about to step into victory. When you thought you had that job. When you thought you had that relationship. You thought you were all of a sudden about to claim those blessings in your life. And everything comes crashing down. You have confidence in God to say, this just means I've got to wait a little longer. And if I wait a little longer, what I'm waiting for is going to be
1: better than what I would have settled for here. You're going to face difficulties. You're going to face setbacks. I love what the prophet Isaiah said.
0: Those who wait upon the Lord will renew their strength. They'll soar like eagles. They'll run and not grow weary. They'll walk and not grow faint. You see,
1: when you wait with faith and confidence, what you're doing is saying, God, I know I can't do this. But I'm trusting that you can. And in your weakness, gain strength. Listen, I know some of you are waiting this morning. Some of you are waiting for
0: an answer. Maybe you're waiting for an open door. Maybe you're waiting for direction. Maybe you're waiting for answers medically, for a person to step up, whatever it is that you're waiting for. The first thing you need to do is make sure you're waiting for the right thing. you waiting for what God has for you. Second thing, you need to make sure you're listening to God, not listening to the people around you. And if you're listening to God and you're waiting on the right thing,
1: and you need to be prepared to wait with confidence, trusting God. Waiting is not easy. Open your heart. Open your eyes to the voice that you have. Don't give up. Some of you quit. Just you settle. God planted a dream in your heart and you're looking at me and saying, Pastor, you don't know I'm too old. Not until you take your last breath. God
0: doesn't quit dreams. The only time that God ever stops dreams is when he
1: replaces it with a bigger dream. You don't outgrow a dream. You don't get too old for a dream. You don't get too
0: old for God's call on your life. The Bible says, a matter of fact, that the calls of God are irrevocable. It means they don't go away. God doesn't all of a sudden say, okay, no, you're not going to be
1: able to do that. God just says, I need you to wait until you're ready. Some of you this morning need confident. Some of you this morning need to get with God and increase your faith and
0: recognize that you are in a place of waiting and it's right where God wants you and you need to be secure in it. But that doesn't mean sleep. It doesn't mean pity party. It doesn't mean wait. It means get involved
1: with where you are. Look around for opportunities. Use your gifts. Listen to God and stand in confidence. I grew
0: up in Texas. One of the things about growing up in Texas is in the summer, you don't turn the oven on. I mean, when it's 100 degrees in the summer, uh, the last thing you ever do is turn the oven on. And uh, if you wanted food, if you wanted to eat a nice meal, that means you had to cook outside. And so we grilled a lot. Uh, we grilled all the time. I, I don't think uh, in the summer we did anything but And If we weren't grilling, we were barbecuing. There's two different things. Uh, grilling is direct heat. Barbecue is indirect heat. Uh, barbecue is cooking something slow and, and low, and grilling is cooking something fast and hot. And when you're grilling in Texas, and, and, and it gave me a passion and a heart to want to be involved in that. And, and, and when I say barbecue, let me just say I'm talking about beef, and it's nothing against uh, you North Carolina pig people. Uh, I'm, just, I'm just trying to follow God's example. The Bible tells us the prodigal son, when he came home, God didn't say, go out and kill the fatted pig. They go out and kill the fatted cow. So uh, when God throws a party, his barbecue is always going to be beef. So, so for us in Texas, and, and I don't have anything against you. I mean, you know, some of, you, some of your barbecues okay, okay. Uh, but, but it's beef. And my favorite cut of meat to smoke or to barbecue is a brisket.
1: And to do a big brisket, it's a big, thick, tough piece of meat. Filled with muscle and fats. And
0: the only way to cook it to make it taste good, the only way to get it to where it's perfectly flavorful is you've got to cook it a long time on low, low heat. And so there are some briskets, big briskets, depending on the size of it, that I cook for 12, 14, 18 hours on 200 degrees. You'd think there's not even any heat there, but it's just enough, just enough smoke. And there's a tendency when I'm teaching and I'm trying to teach the people up here how to make real barbecue and, and do brisket. And so, and we're, we're doing it and, and I'll say, listen, here's how you do it. And I'll give them the marinade. I'll say, listen, you got to put it on and you got to put it on low and you got to wait. Don't even look at it until 12 hours.
1: And they'll call me. Are you sure? Man, there's a lot of smoke. It smells so good. Are you sure? Don't, don't touch it. 13 hours. Listen, I, this thing looks,
0: it's brown. It needs, don't touch it. 16 hours. Rusty, I'm thinking this thing. And juice is falling. No, don't touch it. Because you see, if you don't wait, if you pull it off too early, it's never done. It's tough and it's rough. For it to be perfect, it has to take all the right amount of time. And that's the way God is with our call on our life. Some of us we want to try to circumvent God's plan. Some of us want to try to do it ourselves. Some of us we can't wait. We say, God, I, I'm ready now. God, I want to do it now. God says, no wait.
1: Because I'm waiting for the perfect time. So you're the perfect place to be able to do what I've called you to do. The Bible says we are the aroma of Christ.
0: Think about that every time I cut into a big piece. Some of you are going to want barbecue for lunch. I cut in to a big piece of brisket. and All of a sudden, things have been sealed and in the, in the aroma, just 18 hours of work. And you see, when you put yourself in God's hands, when you trust Him when you're waiting, when you trust Him in the tough
1: times, you go out and begin to serve. The aroma of Christ washes over the world. It's worth the wait. Don't give up don't trust God let's pray.